0: Well, I speak from experience as someone who's fired for confronting someone on narcissism. So that happened a long time ago. Yeah. I, I, hmm. you know, I, in my own cockiness and overconfidence thought that I could kind of go in and be the hero and represent the staff. And I, now I know better. And one of the things I advise people to do is if you sense that there's something like that going on in your church or on your staff, um, go to a therapist who gets hmm. this. Go to someone who really understands narcissistic personality disorder, and begin by doing work on you.
1: Mm. In
0: other words, um, let's talk first about. This is what I do. Okay, we can talk plenty about that person. Let's talk about what you've been experiencing and how this has impacted you. And believe it or not, what this often gets to is I've been sitting under his teaching for seven years, and I feel so confused. You know, mm. uh, some days I feel like I hear his teaching. And I think, man, I'm just you know. I'm just secondary. As a woman, I'm just secondary. Like, I'm just, uh, I've realized over the years that I've worked and worked and worked and it's never enough for him. Whatever it is, and you begin to realize, like, this, there's a lot that's going on inside me.
2: Came up from all the struggle. We still in trenches. There's no tomorrow. Tighten up like some riches. See it all on my skin. It is so I'm grinning. Get happy for my own people moving forward now let's get it let's take it back in the day we came up from the bottom made it up to the top like we all want the lotto we all rich in the love ain't got more than enough it can spread the whole masses just trust me this not a bluff just know you're worth it don't settle we not wasting no time but we can't get it back Oh, yeah, we going be
3: fine. We move in like we on Broadway. Let us Hello, people, and welcome we back to the What if the Project best. podcast. Why My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 123. And uh, we are all done with our health series. How did you like that? What did you get out of it? Have you listened? Have you listened to all the episodes? Uh, one or two of the episodes? Bits and pieces of all of the episodes? Uh, I had a lot of fun with that series., uh, we had been planning it ooh, since uh, maybe la- maybe early this year, like January, February. started to kind of brainstorm the idea. started recording for it, like in March., uh, so I sat on some of those episodes for a long time to release them in uh, September and October, but I felt like it was a really important series, and uh, I hope that you got a lot out of it. I hope it was a Uh, benefit for you, a blessing for you, maybe a perspective game changer for you. I wanted to continue it. I thought about doing a few more episodes, especially maybe re-releasing a couple because uh, earlier in the podcast, the life of the podcast, I'd interviewed Brian Zond. He talked a little bit about hell. Brad Jersak, a little bit about hell. So I thought about like re-releasing those episodes with a little bit of Uh, maybe side commentary uh, from myself, but I thought that eight weeks of hell (laughs) was was enough uh, and that we could maybe move on to something else. And maybe we'll revisit the topic later uh, for sure. Uh, But now that we're done with that series, uh, November we're going to have just a few uh, conversations about some important topics uh, regarding things like race, uh, deconstruction, and uh, today, narcissism. So we're moving from one, one big topic uh, right right into another today. Uh, Chuck DeGroat is on the show, and uh, he wrote a book called "When Narcissism Comes to Church," and really about like when leaders have narcissistic uh, tendencies, or maybe even they have, uh, like they are like a full-blown narcissist, and kind of the the trauma that can do to people who are underneath that person's authority. And so he wrote a whole book about this. Uh, he's done lots of research on it. And so if there's somebody in your life uh, maybe that you feel that you have been impacted by narcissistic behavior, uh, this book is really, really good. Um, it's obviously for really for like churches and uh, churches who are kind of navigating through this or maybe like a congregation that has been uh, wounded by a narcissistic uh, you know leader. Um, things like that. But I I read this book and I found it very helpful because narcissism is like a huge word, a buzzword these days that I feel like a lot of people throw around. And Chuck does a really good job of kind of honing in on what it is and the differences between a person who has just like the tendencies of narcissistic behavior and someone who is actually like on the spectrum of actually being a full-blown narcissist and like what the differences there are. So he talks a little bit about that in the episode, so head over to Amazon, check out the book, uh, pick it up if that's your thing, uh, really, really good stuff. A couple things first, uh, number one, once we are done with November, uh, Advent kicks up pretty soon, can't believe it's almost time for Christmas, I mean, what what in the world? Uh, Advent will kick up, we're doing a series called Good News for All People, and uh, the series is already recorded, and it is, it is awesome. Uh, We have Alexander John Shia, Uh, we have uh, John Dominic Crossan, we have The Naked Pastor coming on, Uh, we have Bruxy Cavey coming on. We have so many good people with so many good things to say, and it is a, a message of good news. And I think that as we end 2020, like right now I'm recording this intro, two days after the election, we still have no idea what's going on. Uh, 2020 has been a roller coaster, and uh, I feel like we could all use some really, really good news, and uh, that's what this series is about. So look forward to that. Once we hit January, uh, we head into season four of the podcast, and uh, we're gonna start off with a series on mental and emotional health. And uh, I'm actually taking some space for my own mental and emotional health these two months. I've recorded all the episodes. Through the first week of January. So once like January 1st hits, I have some recording to do. Uh, I have a few episodes lined up to record uh, actually that week uh, for the rest of January. And uh, I'm just taking some space. Like I'm just recording these intros to episodes and doing some reading of stuff that I want to read. Like instead of reading for podcast interviews, I'm just reading what I want to read. Taking extra space to just be with family. I'm still working from home. I worked for Apple for ten years. That's been that's nine years of holiday at Apple. Uh, Sometimes twelve or more hour shifts. Uh, The week before Christmas is like a week of exhaustion. So it'll be busy from working from home, but I get to be home, and I've never had that. Like literally, never had a wife and a daughter and been able to be home for the holidays. And I get to do that this year, so I want to take full advantage of that. Uh, I told Jordan that we would decorate her swing set with lights, which she's really pumped about. So we're going to put lights on the swing set, lights on the house, do some decorating, uh, all the fun holiday foods, all the things. So uh, we're having a good time here and I'm just taking some space, some mental and emotional space. Not writing on the blog, not really writing any Patreon posts, uh, not recording any interviews, just reading what I want to read, dropping a few of these intros. Uh, in in the episodes, and uh, that's that's about it. So, I hope that as the holidays roll in, you can find a little bit of your own peace, um, as as well. But uh, I'm blabbering. Let me let me <laughs> segue into uh, Patreon. Patreon.com/whatifproject is a place to go to support the show. Uh, the Heretic Shop, if you want to buy some T-shirts, hoodies, all the things. I'll put the links to that stuff in the show notes. Uh, special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. Uh, he's a hip-hop artist here in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing great and amazing things. So go and check him out, uh, download his stuff, pass it around, all the things. But uh, that said, this is episode number 123, and it's my conversation with Chuck DeGroat. Enjoy.
2: Help me, I need your guidance, Come on and get me, Lord. A real one to your you believe that I'm of your own conversation every To my knees, to God, bless me want and my needs. Know that he got my back and you no Only thing that I ask is that you do free, free. To my knees, to hey everybody.
3: Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're joined to by my friend my Chuck DeGroat, who wrote a book receive. called When Narcissism Comes to Church, subtitled Healing Your Community from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. And now uh, we're gonna talk all about it today. So, Chuck, welcome to the podcast and thanks for making time.
0: Yeah, thank you, Glenn.
3: Thank you. So, before we jump into the book, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your yourself, especially for those who maybe aren't familiar with you and your work. Uh, Who are you? What do you do? Some of
0: the highlights of your story. Yeah, I sort of had a long and winding journey. Um, Briefly, I was in seminary in the mid nineteen nineties. Kind of a good, theologically put together Reformed boy, (laughs) and that all
1: blown up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah that all got blown up in, in the summer of 1997 when mm. I kind of hit a personal wall. And I ended up doing a mental health counseling degree, which was um, really transformational for my faith, for my life. I was introduced to kind of the wider tradition of the mystics and the contemplatives. Mm. I did my a lot of my own counseling, right? So just a lot of deconstructing of stuff. And so I've been a pastor. Uh, I've been a therapist, uh, now for a long time. Um, in the last seven years, I kind of stepped out of pastoral ministry hmm. to be a professor. And so I've been, I, I hoping to kind of shape the next generation of pastors in maybe a, a bit of a different way than I was shaped. And I, I get to work at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. So I'm pretty hmm. grateful for that.
3: That's awesome. What kind of classes do you teach there?
0: I you know I teach really fun classes one is called pastor as person hmm. I teach pastoral care and counseling class I teach a writing for the pastoral uh, life class I teach a Christian spirituality class where we go through St. Teresa of Abilas interior castle Well,
1: hmm.
0: so, yeah it's a really I, I have some fun classes but um you know I get to do some stuff with the enneagram it's just uh, really formational stuff
3: It sounds like you're honing in on the heart and on the soul of the yeah, students. Yeah. So your book, uh, narcissism comes to church, maybe kick it off by giving us a drive by of what this book is about. Like, who's it for? Why should people yeah. hit pause and go buy it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, who, who's it for? Uh, I'm finding that it's for more people than I thought it was going to be for mm-hmm. uh, originally was, I'd done some consulting work, uh, a number of years ago where when I was done, the pastor said, Hey, like, we need you to write a diagnostic, like describe narcissism, abuse, gaslighting, all the stuff that we just experienced because there, there wasn't a resource. And mm-hmm. so I, I set off to do that. I mean, it's been a book that has been um, comforting for like ex-evangelicals and people yeah. who left church, people who are sort of in a, a kind of spiritual exile right now to help make sense of experiences they've had. Mm-hmm. I found like seminaries are using it. Um, I church staffs where they're like staff members who are trying to figure out: is my pastor abusive? Is he narcissistic?
3: Let's read this um, in in quiet. <laughs> let's not let him know we're pastor, reading this.
0: One of those old book covers over it, right? You know? <laughs> um, so you know, I I'm, I've been pretty gratified by kind of kind of the wide range of folks who've read it.
3: So this is maybe let's start with an obvious question, but you just kind of touched on it. But can you define for us what exactly is? narcissism. And I ask that because I feel like, I feel like narcissism is sort of a a buzzword these days. And narcissist seems to be something that people quickly label others as, especially if they don't like that person. And I think without really even knowing exactly what it means. So maybe lay a little bit of groundwork for us. What do these words refer to?
0: Well, yeah. So when we talk about narcissism, really, I mean, it's pointing to a personality disorder. Mm. Uh, And so we use it casually, you know, that's so narcissistic, but the serious conversation we have to have is when we're dealing with narcissistic personality disorder, hmm. where you begin to see like all the clinical manifestations of the grandiosity and the entitlement and the egocentricity hmm. and the disruptive relationships and the incapacity for empathy. Um, I often say that narcissism is on a spectrum, and so you you have folks who might have some characteristics, but Aren't full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. When you when you move up the spectrum to the personality disorder, you're really dealing with someone who can be toxic to, to people, to the church, abusive, hmm. and um, and so some some of the words that I just mentioned, like grandiosity and those those are features that come from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Personality Disorders, the DSM, and so, but I, what I've done is I've tried to expand that because I've seen there's a kind of caricature of narcissism, but then there are other ways of talking about narcissism. And, uh, and, and, and those are important to highlight too, even if they don't look like the typically grandiose narcissist that we're, we're aware of, like maybe a politician that someone might know right now.
3: (laughs) I don't know any of those. (laughs) So sometimes the, the, the personality can be very big and sometimes it can be very small.
0: Yeah, it's so it's sort of like there. There could be this grandiose narcissist, but there are also these more subtle, sometimes called vulnerable narcissists. I don't know if mm. that's the best word, but it's kind of a word that's out there and used often. Where it, it's almost kind of a, a self pitying, self loathing version of narcissism. Mm. Uh, I'll give you an example real quick. It's it's kind of like I saw it. I, I my all my stories, by the way, I. Combine lots of stories. Because I don't want anyone ever listen and say, oh, I know exactly who he's talking about. right <laughs> but pastor in Iowa, small church in a small town. So not a grandiose platform, no like smoke machines or like all the stuff of the mega church. But right. man, it was this no one no one gets the gospel like we do, you know. I mean, mm. I'm just I am I, I'm sort of like a modern day martyr, he'd say, you know, I'm just serving the small church all these other churches have fallen away. They've rejected the gospel. We're the only true church, you know, and that's kind of the less visible, less grandiose, but more of a kind of, you know, I'm just, I'm just grinding it out because I'm the only faithful one out there.
3: Mm. It's almost like a inside out version of what you would expect a narcissist to be, but it's still narcissism. Cause you expect that big voice, that big ego, like you said, that grandiose mentality, but it could also be that very small. That's interesting. Yeah. Now from your experience and your research, like are there, are there certain childhood circumstances that make someone more prone to develop a narcissistic yeah. tendency? Like, and what might those be?
0: Yeah, so I mean, with, with a lot of things, um, personality disorders are often some mysterious combination of nature and nurture, right? Mm. Um, there are, there are definitely sort of proclivities, but, you know, I'm talking about sort of, we're wired with certain pro- proclivities, but then our family experience shapes us a lot. Mm. Um, so you may be wired, uh, you know, my, my daughters came out very different, you know, and, and, uh, you know, some, some people have kids who are profoundly extroverted and others that are very introverted. Uh, some who are really confident, like, look at me, look at me and others. That doesn't mean that that kid came out a narcissist, um, but it can be shaped in particular ways, and er- often f- through early experiences of neglect, mm-hmm. abuse, bullying, maybe a parent who applied a lot of pressure. You need to achieve. You need to be uh, to perform. You need to be the you know the, the captain of the football team. You need to be the valedictorian. So maybe there's pressure. I mean, it can come out of a number of different settings where early on it's just sort of like, um, I'm not saying that a child decides to do this, but it happens kind of unwittingly that it's like, it's too scary to be vulnerable in the world. It's, it's Uh too scary to show up as my real self. Um, but people really like me when I show up like this, you know, Mm -hmm. when I'm the achiever, when I'm the smart guy, when I'm the, you know, class clown, when I'm the musician, whatever it is, you know, and that becomes a kind of fixation. Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually, instead of just being sort of a the mask they wear, it becomes the only mask they know.
3: It's almost like those responses from people around him or her add fuel to the fire that's already burning.
0: I, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah.
3: And what does this look like, like in the church? Like maybe let's drill down into that a little bit. Like maybe yeah. one of our listeners is hearing you talk about this and are like, hmm, "Like, have I ever experienced this in the church? Like maybe a pastor, an elder." And, and you have a chapter called "The Nine Faces of of Narcissism" in the book where you. Yeah kind of look at narcissism through the different places where a person might fall on the Enneagram. So maybe talk to us about that. Like you don't need to take us through all nine unless you, you yeah. want to, of course, but what are some different examples of what this looks like in a church setting?
0: Yeah, it's, it's hard, right? Because in the church, let's just say, let's just talk about like an Enneagram two for a second, can show up in ways that are really generous, really helpful. But if your whole identity is around, I'm helping you to, to meet unmet needs in me, and you better, you better recognize all I've done for you, you know? Mm. And so you show up as a kind of what my friend Michael calls a benevolent narcissist. Mm. Um, I, I'm, the, I'm the biggest giver in the room, you know? And, if, uh, and when, when people don't notice that, this person begins to become extraordinarily resentful and mm. passive aggressive. Well, then that might trend a little closer to narcissism than the kind of like benignly helpful you know, woman who works behind the welcome center and serves coffee, you mm. know, um, or, the, you know, the Enneagram three, like a, a confident leader isn't necessarily a narcissist, but a person whose only self is their safe, stage self, mm. um, who is the perpetual chameleon who lives to succeed, who lives to achieve and, and who gaslights anyone who who doesn't achieve like he achieves. Mm. Then they're on the narcissistic spectrum or, Uh, so, so I, you know, I, you're right. I go through every one of the numbers. Um, you know, I, I, I talk about some of them that people might not expect to look as narcissistic, like the Enneagram nine or maybe the Enneagram six. Um, and I, I kind of show how even there you might have this more subtle form of narcissism where the nine can become a really sort of passive, aggressively enraged, um, Uh, impactful person within a system even though he or she might not be leading within the system like nines who have all this energy around them because they're showing up in really passive aggressive ways because they don't know what to do with their anger Hmm. Uh, and so yeah it shows up in different ways in different forms and um, what's hard for people sometimes is that it's like you know, you're, you're just you're a staff member, let's say, or a lay person at a church, and it's like there's something about this that feels off, mm. but um, you know, they're not they're not like acting like Donald Trump. They're not <laughs> acting like something like sort of the, you know, you might say is kind of a, a, a prototypical narcissist. But there's something off here. I feel like what do I feel subtly put down every time, you know, he gives me a response to some of the work that I've done? Mm. Or what do I feel subtly undermined or devalued? Uh, so those are, those are where the conversations often begin.
3: Hmm. Now the Enneagram, maybe I probably should ask this first, but for f- listeners who maybe aren't too familiar with what all these numbers are, like what, what exactly is the Enneagram?
0: Yeah. So it's really a, a way of, of talking about it. Uh, so let me step back. There yeah. are a lot of different ways of talking about personality. Mm-hmm. Out there. People like the Myers-Briggs or the disc or all these different kinds of um tests that we have to talk about our personality oftentimes in positive ways. But what the Enneagram gets at is ways that we've learned to maladaptively cope in the world um, because of things that have happened to us, part of our mm. family story, uh, neglect, abuse. We all learn to to sort of become a certain person that we, the, we think the world wants us to be. Mm. Again, here we have a bit of nature, a bit of nurture. And... Um, and so our, our primary way of relating in the world actually is, according to the Enneagram, almost like a false self.
1: Hmm.
0: Also like, uh, kind of like a way of, of getting our needs met. Um, and so if you're, again, at like a two, it might be through being really benevolent benevolent and a giver, but ultimately you're trying to get your own needs met.
1: Hmm. For a
0: three, an achiever, you know, a, a person who loves to be on stage. And yet it's ultimately because You long to be known and seen at a deeper level and on and on and on it goes.
3: So every number I guess has, has a positive to it, but also has an underbelly and the underbelly is where the narcissism lies.
0: That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm. And I think it is important to reframe the positives of each one and, and to see that, you know, not the person who's confident doesn't necessarily mean that he's a narcissist or she's a narcissist. Um, You can have really beautiful strengths, and not be narcissistic personality disorder.
3: But it can't, but if it goes uncontrolled, then I guess that's where it leads to. Yeah. I, yeah.
0: I think in particular, like any trauma when it's not processed, you yeah, know what I mean?
3: That's the oh. word I'm looking for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. It's like trauma is unprocessed content within us, you know? And so bad things can happen to us. I mean, i people come to me every now and then and say, you know, this terrible thing happened to my daughter. You know, she was, um, you know, maybe she was touched by a caregiver in the nursery at the, is she, is she permanently damaged? Hmm. And I'll say, uh, unprocessed um, unprocessed abuse becomes trauma. Hmm. Processed abuse becomes a means toward healing and generosity and hope. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's where it becomes a problem, when it becomes traumatic.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, a little earlier, you mentioned mega churches, and I feel like megachurches is where a lot of people that I've talked to have this idea where narcissists live, like in the, in the leadership of mega churches. But I'm wondering, like, just out of curiosity, have you have you come across any any mega churches where like that's not the case? And w- like, what kind of safeguards maybe do can churches put up when they do get that large in place where you know narcissism doesn't become something that um, takes over the pastor?
0: One one particular one where. Um... I engaged, uh, I engaged a staff at a church. I remember going there to do kind of like a retreat and thinking, here we go. I'm about to go into the, the <laughs> belly of the beast. Right? <laughs> uh, and um, I, I remember being surprised by the level of transparency uh, modeled by the lead pastor. Hmm. Um, even to the extent of when we were doing some Enneagram work, kind of saying, so this is my, I think this is my Enneagram energy. How do you all experience me? How how is that particularly hurtful or harmful to you? Hmm. Um, and then I you know, I, I sort of asked, you know, during bathroom breaks and stuff like that. So is that typical of your culture? Is that real? Um, <laughs> right. Or is this I,
3: just a show, I, right?
0: <laughs> you know, I don't want to be cynical, but I've I've seen a lot of hard cases, right? And so right. And, and hearing like, yeah, yeah, it is different here, you know, and it's not perfect. Um, and there are times when sometimes he's kind of larger than life and we're not sure that, he, but, but he always comes back to a fundamental place of humility. Mm. And, uh, and whenever, whenever there's a question of like, um, I bring something to him and I say, Hey, this hurt, or this was hard for me. Mm. He, he says, thank you for telling me, let's talk about it. So, yeah, mm. I don't want I've, you know, I, I, uh, I, I mean, I struggle sometimes with the church. I mean, I, it's just to be honest. I mean, I've been, a, have been in church my whole life. I just turned 50. Right. I, I teach people how to do church. Right.
3: Least... <laughs> Your job. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and, and yet I'm still wrestling with my own pain. Yeah. Uh, really in the midst of this evangelical moment that we're in right now, where it's sort of like, who, who are we, you know? Um, and so, so to see, Stories like that gives me some hope.
3: So I guess then like if if speaking to like maybe maybe church planters who are starting a church and maybe they have this vision that it's gonna be a really big thing, like maybe would you say that a key thing would be to breed things like humility into the culture very early so that you yeah. practice that on a much smaller level. So when it does grow large, like that's something that you're already doing on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean mm you have people in your life you can be honest with do you know your own story one of my doctor of ministry students right now that's kind of like a degree that you do after you've been a pastor for a while (laughs) sure um, he's doing uh, kind of like an autobiographical doctor of ministry project on Mm -hmm. his shame as a church planner and it's beautiful oh wow and what he's talking about is like i went in with all of the metrics to be a successful church planner you've got to hit this number you know, on your, your day of your launch, you've got to be at this number because you expect that it's going to be half the next week. Yeah. And then you got to be at this number in the first year. It's all the stuff. And he never got there. Mm. And, um, what he didn't realize was that shame was fueling so much of his addiction to perfectionism and achievement. And so now, 10 years later, he's looking back in retrospect and saying, man, what would it have been like for me to be more in touch with my own story, my own um, fragility, my own Mm. shame? Um, Would I even have chosen that church planting network to partner with when it was so geared toward bigger, better, stronger, faster? And so I, I I, I think it's hard though, particularly with younger church planters who may or may not have gotten to that place of disorientation yet or May, may have not started asking questions, and they just want to, I mean, I remember myself at 30. Like, I, I want to succeed. Mm. I want to do well. I want to be recognized. I want to, like, I don't want to fail at this, you know? Sure. So I get it.
3: Now, one of the things that you said in the book that I found really interesting um, comes on page 19, and you say that, when I started doing psychological assessments for pastors and church planters, I saw that narcissistic traits were often presented as strengths narcissism can be interpreted as confidence strong leadership and thick skin and you mentioned that earlier but i guess my my question there is if someone has like these traits or tendencies and they're made aware of them through an assessment or maybe through counseling something like that and they're willing to work through them because that's obviously huge can they harness those tendencies and actually flip them and use them for good like can narcissism ever evolve or mold into something that's actually useful for the church
0: yeah, you know, I, I would say um, where I'd make the distinction if, it, if it's full blown narcissistic personality disorder, um, many people don't come back from that. I mean, that mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about something where we're years and years of work mm-hmm. uh, with therapists and um, in the context of other relationships. I mean, so but if someone's on the narcissistic spectrum
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you're beginning to see some toxic characteristics show up, you know, I do think that as you were sort of hinting at, and as I often talk about with church planning, um, a lot of the things that they're looking for in a church planner match up really well with what church planning assessments look for, right. <laughs> uh, for better or for worse. And so, you know, I, I remember sitting with uh, a woman who, uh, she had, she had kind, kind of gained a bit of a following. She was a, a Bible teacher and she was beginning to sort of believe the press. Hmm. I don't think she was narcissistic personality disorder, but um, she was preaching and teaching in a variety of different settings. And um, she would pretty well branded herself. And um, she had someone come to her and say kind of black and white, like this is just narcissism. Like whatever yeah. you are right now, it's all bad. And so we had to do a lot of work sort of teasing out. What about this is beautiful and reflective of your core character and your really good gifts and what about this is motivated by, um, maybe some of that shame and anxiety, which leads to egocentricity. And as we poked and prodded around her story, we realized that, yeah, there, there is a part of this where it's like I'm the first woman in my family to actually have a voice. Mm. And, um, and, uh, I, I won't, I won't say it the way I normally say it, but, mm. but it was sort of like F you world. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna take my place in the world, damn it. Mm. Um, And then she realized, you know, I'm operating out of my pain still.
1: Mm. And so
0: um, as she worked through some of that, she was like able to continue to do the work that she was doing, but now from a place of greater centeredness, she began to engage some of the more contemplative spiritual disciplines. And and so, yeah, I think these things can be transformed. And I believe in transformation. I just think when we're talking about full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, that's when, We need to mitigate the damage. We need to get that person sort of outside of the church Hmm. into a place of healing. That's when I become protective of the church, of the flock, so to speak, you know, because I I suspect at that point there has been gaslighting, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, maybe more.
3: Yeah. I guess that's that's a huge distinction to make then that even I, I think, have been unaware of is that there is narcissistic tendencies, but then there's, like you said, a full-blown narcissism. And yeah. that the one is a actual real psychological condition, whereas the other one is more just personality tendencies that somebody might have. Would that be a, a accurate way to say it?
0: That's right. And it's where, you know, we, we can joke around with one another and you know, a buddy of mine who like right when the book came out and I was doing a few things for it, he's like, Oh, don't be a narcissist now. You know? Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> joke around about that. But I, I would hope that, you know, if, if my friends noticed that this is an all consuming pervasive pattern in my life, mm. that that would be called to my attention. Right? So, I mean, there are, there are things that we do that are motivated by ego and mm. we all do. it. Um, and, and so, but the, the example I like to give sometimes though, is like when my daughter was five, she learned to do cartwheels and she used to say, daddy, daddy, look at me, I'm doing a cartwheel. But like, if you're 50 years old and you're saying, look at me, look at me, I preached a great sermon. Mm. That's, that's a problem. Yeah. yeah.
3: Now what would you say to people who maybe somebody's listening, maybe they're on staff at a church, or maybe they have somebody in their life who they feel at least has these tendencies? Like, what, what are some delicate ways to go about addressing this? Because I imagine you don't just want to approach this person and say, Well, you're a narcissist, so you need to deal with it because that's obviously not going to lead anywhere good. But like what are some helpful tips you might have for people listening who feel this yeah. this is an issue in their church and they want to try to address it?
0: Yeah. Well, I speak from experience as someone who's fired for confronting someone on narcissism. So that happened a long time yeah. ago. I, I, hmm. you know, I, in my own cockiness and overconfidence thought that I could kind of go in and be the hero and represent the staff. And I, now I know better. And one of the things I advise people to do is if you sense that there's something like that going on in your church or on your staff, um, go to a therapist who gets hmm. this. Go to someone who really understands narcissistic personality disorder and begin by doing work on you.
1: Mm. In other
0: words, um, let's talk first about this. is what I do. Okay, we can talk plenty about that person. Let's talk about what you've been experiencing and how this has impacted you. And believe it or not, what this often gets to is I've been sitting under his teaching for seven years and I feel so confused. You know, Mm. Uh, some days I feel like I hear his teaching and I think, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just secondary. As a woman, I'm just secondary. Like, I'm just, um, you know, or uh, I've realized over the years that I've worked and worked and worked and it's never enough for him, or whatever it is. And you begin to realize, like, this, there's a lot that's going on inside me. And so I think it oftentimes requires um, at least one person to begin doing the work. And then if there are other people who are willing to do the work, that's great. And if there's a core that can begin to sort of manifest some influence within the system and that can look like lots of different things and lots of different kinds of denominational systems and networks and stuff then maybe you can begin to have a larger conversation but but only as a group of people only as a team i mean if if you remember um at willow creek church where there were a group of women who uh who brought concerns about Mm. about senior pastor um, it wasn't just a single woman, but it was a group of women who'd done some work, who'd asked some hard questions and who had the capacity to step in with some, some emotional resiliency, knowing that they were going to take some fire for doing what they did. Yeah.
3: I think that's an important point that you bring up that you, you, I, f- I think you said you, you begin by doing the work on yourself before you start really addressing the person that you have the issue with. And I would imagine that's important because like correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're told over and over again by someone over you on your staff on, on staff like the pastor that you're not worthy you're not good enough whatever then you could probably almost try to over compensate and push that shame aside and almost develop those tendencies yourself in terms of narcissism would that would that be accurate
0: i think so i think when yeah. you when you um, refuse to deal with your own stuff hmm. um There's a a really fascinating CIA profiler who's written on this since the late 1980s. His name is Gerald Post. And he talks about mirror-hungry narcissists, like the mirror-hungry narcissist is like the lead pastor Hmm. who, you know, the congregation is his mirror, her mirror. And then there are ideal hungry followers who, they, they don't pay attention to what's going on inside them. Rather, they idealize. I think this is happening in our country right now. This is the strong man we needed. This is the leader. This is the follower after God that our church needed. Whatever it is, you know, it's like the strength sometimes, even the bullying strength, is seen as like this is someone who will finally kind of speak against the forces of the world or yeah. a culture or, you know, the, the Democrats or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. in the moment. And I think that's when it gets really scary for me is when, because this ideal hungry narcissistic pattern is a kind of um, mirror form of narcissism. Now you're certain. Now you're walking around talking about these things from a place of great confidence and great grandiosity because you're, you're, you've leached yourself to the leader and you're living from that jet fuel. That's yeah. pretty simple. Yeah. It was like
3: you're feeding off the narcissism yourself.
0: That's exactly it. Yeah. Now
3: you talk later on in the book and I want to kind of land here for a little bit of time, um, but about the importance of churches, uh, seminaries, denominations, prioritizing the health and the, uh, well-being of their pastors that they're they're training and creating space for them to do what you call their their shadow work. So talk to me a little bit about about that. Like in your experience, do do seminaries train pastors with emotional health at the forefront of their education? And when they leave seminary, they go to churches. Um, in your experience, do churches kind of like leave like also create that space for pastors to continue that work? And like, why is this such an important thing yeah. to be talking about?
0: Yeah. So I think the shadow work that we're talking about has to take place on an individual level and it has to take place on a, on a collective level. Uh In other words, like we, we as, as the church, like collectively have to acknowledge um, there's some significant pain here. There's Mm -hmm. like significant damage, um, some significant abuse that we've, we've been responsible for. And we've got to do that on an individual level. Um, There are, um, there are, yes, to answer your question, there are some seminaries. I think the seminary that I'm at does a good job with this. There are seminaries committed to the whole person. Um, in church planning networks, many of those pastors don't go through seminary. Yeah, uh, They go through like lay training programs. They never do any kind of significant shadow work. So mm-hmm. it's really hit or miss. But I think, you know, even if, and this, this is sort of my contention, I'm saying this as a seminary professor, like this is, the difference that we're making is really small in comparison because um, the the amount the amount of work that we need to do as a church to look at our shadows to look at the damage that we've done to really acknowledge um, our participation in narcissistic systems and when I talk about narcissistic systems i'm I'm talking about the kinds of systems that fueled uh colonialism mm. racism and all the isms that we talk about consumerism all driven by a kind of supremacy a white supremacy a grandiosity mm. um an elevating of particular people oftentimes men that look mm. like me white males right so yeah. i'm implicated in this there's like a massive reckoning that needs to take place that is bigger than any kind of uh kind of small program that we're doing in our seminary, which, you know, come to Western Theological Seminary if you want good training, by mm. all means. But um, but there's a massive reckoning that I think needs to take place in the church.
3: I went to uh, Alliance Theological Seminary yeah, in uh, New York, and I just actually got my DMIN, uh, and that's a year ago now that I graduated. And uh, I was really surprised because, like, the first – the first class that we took for the the uh, for the degree was soul care, and so oh, wow. we all we all walk into you know the classroom and everybody's you have a lot of people who are all different ages. I was probably the youngest person I think in the class, and you have a lot of people who've been doing ministry for many many years. And everybody thinks well, I'm going to get my doctorate, you know. So it's going to be like it's going to be this big intellectual exercise, which many parts of it were. But that first uh, semester, that first class was all about like your inner work and they started off the class and they said like look if you can't effectively lead yourself you are not going to effectively lead anybody else ever and so we had to do a lot of like digging we did a lot of like inner healing prayer time Uh, one of the one of the uh, pieces of the class was we had to go for i think three months of counseling we had to do a certain amount of counseling sessions we had to do like a grief journal where we kind of grieve through some of our past hurts and wounds and stuff. And like, I feel like if I didn't have that class, there's no possible way that I would be where I am today. Like that class helped me unearth so much that I didn't know was there. And I I can't overemphasize enough, like the importance of that
0: work. Oh, that's so good. And that's so rare. I mean, but yeah, uh, you know, I'm so grateful that you did that it's it feels like man if that could just be magnified out um many times over maybe we begin to see some differences but i mean i know you've seen this and i've seen it there's a lot of resistance to that kind of work too yeah huge
1: Um, under
0: the guise of navel gazing under the guise of you know these kinds of contemplative disciplines or just new age mysticism like there's just for every good thing that we have out there we get this pushback you know so um we've got, we've got work to do, but I think it begins with in smaller communities of people who are actually living into these realities, you know, and I think your podcast sort of creates a space for that, for people. I don't know. I mean, I don't know who the, who's listening today, but I, hmm. I think probably your listeners are like eager for a place where they can feel normal, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely.
3: And I think yeah. it's important to, you know, the work continues, right? Because like for me, it wasn't, it didn't just stop in that class. It's not like I, went through that, whatever, three or four month class, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden I'm good now. <laughs> no, it's, it's like, it's, it's ongoing work and you have to integrate different things into your, your daily life. And so it's, the, the process is never ending.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
3: So last question, uh, what can somebody do who maybe they've been uh, victimized by narcissistic abuse? They've been, they've experienced it in the church. Uh, Maybe it's somebody who just had the tendencies, maybe it was full blown narcissism, whatever it is, but they're, they're hurting today and they don't feel like they could ever step foot in a church again because of the really real trauma that they've experienced at the hands of these people. Uh, Like what is your advice for them to begin to pursue healing?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think first things, just given what you said, um, don't step foot in the church right now, Mm. Uh, go and address your trauma. Um, I think sometimes we, we who have grown up in the faith are so driven by guilt that it's like, gosh, if I don't go to church, yeah. I'm kind of on, the, on the outs with God, you
3: know,
0: yeah. no, God's pretty happy for you to actually uh, take care of yourself and deal with your trauma, yes. um, take it seriously, do the work that you need to do. Mm. Um, will, will you get it back around to going to church? I don't, you know, as a therapist, I, I'm like, I don't, we don't have to answer that question right now. Right. So, we just need to take seriously what's going on with, with you right now and uh, how you've been impacted and what you need to do to heal. Mm-hmm. That's often a journey, as you know, that is um, it's messy, it's disorienting. It doesn't lead to all the obvious kinds of conclusions that uh, pe- people like the straight line, like, if I do this, will it get me to here? And they often find that two or three years later, they're in a very different place and they're asking very different questions and um, you know my my clients will say to you uh, Chuck says to us a lot trust the process mm. you know just um, tr- trust trust w- whatever's happening here whatever's being deconstructed part of that for me actually people will say well you know well trusting the process well you're not trusting the Lord <laughs> or whatever <laughs> And I, I, I will say that the attribute of God that uh, I did not learn about in seminary, but that I believe deeply, is that God is secure. Like God is the most deeply secure. God is not like, like in the prodigal son story, not like, um, you know, checking his phone to see where the prodigal is, you know, on the Life360 app, you know, God is secure. Like, it's Okay. It'll unfold the way it's going to unfold. Like, I've got it all. I love you. Um, do your work. It's going to take a while. Maybe you have to step out of church. Maybe you're going to stop tithing for a season, whatever it is. Um, I'm waiting, like, looking at my watch saying, you better be back soon, or else I'm going to count this against you. And so yeah. I think it's often that vision of the vastness of God's love that people are just not familiar with. It's, it's often some obligation, some Requirement yeah. uh, that sort of derails the work that they really need to do. Yeah, I mean, does that resonate with your experience?
3: uh Huge, because like I think of, I mean, my my wife and I haven't been to church in probably a you know, year and a half now, and it's not yeah. like we experienced yeah. any kind of you know any kind of traumatic experience or abuse, but just some of the theologies that we were getting, yeah. just not yeah. sitting well with us. And I think that that in itself created its own sort of trauma. That's a whole another mm-hmm. podcast for another day. But, you know, I think like there was a lot of guilt for a while that like, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to church. You know, like all my life I've been told I have to go to church and God's not going to be happy if I don't go to church. And there, there was a lot of shame. And I feel like that, that shame only intensified the shame that I was already feeling uh, from the different uh, you know theologies and different reasons why we stepped away from the church, so I think to your point, I think that people really need to hear that is that you know if, if this is like a really real issue for you and you 've had a traumatic experience in the church, whatever it is, you don't have to go to church right now in order to please yeah,
0: God yeah, yeah
3: yeah, I think that's really freeing for people to hear
0: yeah, I think it is too. thanks for sharing that. I mean, I resonate with that deeply myself and and uh, i'm I'm grateful that you' are sort of again, creating a context here for people to have these conversations, to listen in on these kinds of conversations. Maybe it just kind of validates what they're feeling today.
3: Yeah, I think that just this whole conversation can help people put language on feelings they maybe don't have the language for, but it can help them kind of develop it kind of process through their their stuff. Right, yeah. Well, Chuck, this has been really helpful, uh, but we're just about out of time and I'm on a lunch break for work, working from home. So I got to clock back in 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 a few minutes. But uh, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Um before yeah. you go though can you tell people where to where to find you online where can they connect yeah. with you
0: Yeah so uh easiest way is chuckdegroat.net. so that's chuck d e g r o a t .net and um yeah there's resources there books newsletter stuff like that um hopefully helpful plus uh, some writings on narcissism there too so
3: Awesome well, we'll do yeah. this again sometime because I have some more questions for you about other things as well.
2: <laughs> Good, man. Awesome, I appreciate Chuck. It. Thanks so much. Yeah. Wish I had a wish I was rainbow. I'm a check. Wish I had no I'm not no run, Wish I for my people. uh no better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own I'm beach free. and we bring our old sand. Wherever we live, is so bland. So I'm much, we're high on demand. Tiptoe around, throwing high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we going here to dance. Let me talk at the end of the day, we know I'm who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed really get the old lock, die, die. champion Go ahead, call the ambulance I So wish. we share the old MBS WTDG, train to go I Let's wish. talk, no rambling Wishing, I had, I, Wishing I had something foreign Wishing I had something for foreign knowing that, I can I it. Wish. knowing that I can afford it Knowing that I can afford it It's real love, it's real thing. love I'm But I just wish. ignore it It's all love, it's all love But think. I just ignore it Wishing I had something foreign Wishing I had something foreign that I can I it, Wish I had red bottoms on my feet Everything falls on me Then I start clicking my heels to the ride Did it beat. Be me Ever Everyone to follow my speed Let's close those more keys Carolina roads on freeze hey. Wishing I could fly to the Keys hey. That will be more free hey. Something hit my mind, hit the doubt. Put dough. on my fresh fit. So Sir Charles, let's go We about to go and get it Let me talk At the end of the day, we know who's at the fall We got our hands up, ready for a box Undisputed, got to own the own lot. Champions Wishing, first I, first had Wishing I had something for foreign Wishing I had something for foreign Knowing that, I can, thing it. Thing knowing that I can afford it Knowing that I can afford it It's real up. love, it's real love I'm But free. I just ignore thing it, thing it. It's all up. love, it's all love I'm But free. I just ignore it I and I had something foreign, I'm wishing I had something foreign, knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford I'm it, it's real, love, it's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it, it's all love, it's all love, I'm but I just ignore it. is giving a festival,
1: I wish, King is giving a festival, I wish.